0: Hi listeners, welcome to this month's episode of the HVMN Research Roundup. I'm your host, Dr. Brianna Stubbs. One of the best things about my job is that I can stay up to date with the latest science literature. In our research roundup, we're going to be taking a look at some of the most topical and interesting things I've been reading about. We'll walk you through the experiments, discuss the results, implications, and share my thoughts on the study and the subject as a whole. Let's get into this week's episode. Today, we're going to be thinking about the tick-tock of our biological clock. Like for many people, this phrase might make you start to think about ageing, or about reproductive age, so clocks on something of a macro scale over our lifespan. Actually, many processes inside our bodies are regulated on more of a micro scale by a biological clock. Once thought of as just being inside our brain... Countless genetically controlled clocks tick inside different parts of our body, such as the liver, kidneys, and heart. Amongst other things, they initiate metabolic processes, ensuring that these occur at the optimal time of day. Internal processes that are triggered on a daily cycle are referred to as circadian, and they are traditionally linked to the light and dark cycle. Those who have flown overseas, or from one North American coast to another, will likely understand what it feels like when the body's rhythms are out of sync. Travelling long distances across multiple time zones throws off the usual clock setting cues, or zeitgebers, such as the daily light cycle. Jet lag can cause a variety of temporary symptoms, including dizziness, irritability and indigestion. Longer term perturbations of these rhythms can have lasting effects on the body. Researchers have also found that in rodents, mutations in circadian clock genes can cause obesity, metabolic syndrome, which is a cluster of conditions that includes high sugar and low insulin levels in the blood, and diabetes. A number of epidemiological studies have shown that people who work night shifts are at a higher risk for these conditions as well. The primary circadian clock in mammals is located in a part of the brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, or nuclei, SCN for short. This is a pair of distinct groups of cells located in our hypothalamus. Destruction of the SCN results in a complete absence of the regular sleep-wake rhythm. The SCN receives information about illumination through the eyes. The retina of the eyes contains classical photoreceptors, rods and cones which he used for conventional vision but the retina also contains specialized ganglion cells that are directly photosensitive and project directly to the SCN where they help in the entrainment and synchronization of this master circadian clock the SCN takes the information on the lengths of the night and day from the retina interprets it and passes it on to the pineal gland a tiny structure shaped like a pine cone and located on the epithalamus In response, the pineal gland secretes the hormone melatonin. Secretion of melatonin peaks at night and ebbs during the day, and its presence provides information about night length. The classic phase markers for measuring the timing of a mammal's circadian rhythm are melatonin secreted by the pineal gland, core body temperature minimum, and plasma level of cortisol. However, as I mentioned earlier, more or less independent circadian rhythms are found in many organs and cells in the body outside of the SCN, or the master clock. Indeed, neuroscientist Joseph Takahashi and colleagues stated in a 2013 article that almost every cell in the body contains a circadian clock. Clock systems are a sort of a core primordial part of our genome that instruct and prepare our cells for the work of using nutrients, moving around, breathing and other fundamental processes. Circadian rhythms are highly topical right now. Actually, in 2017, the Nobel Prize in Medicine was awarded to the three scientists who discovered the clock genes that control the circadian rhythm. The three scientists made the discoveries in the 1980s and based their work on fruit flies. Michael Rochebash and Jeffrey Hall collaborated to isolate the period gene that is key to regulating circadian rhythm. The gene, which is called PERF for short, encodes a protein that builds up at night and then degrades during the day. Different levels of the protein in the cells affect how our body adapts to different times of day. Oscillations in levels of both the per transcript and its corresponding protein have a period of approximately 24 hours and together play a central role in the molecular mechanism of the biological clock that drives our circadian rhythms. Mutations in the per gene can shorten, lengthen and even abolish the period of the circadian rhythm. And the per gene even exists in plants. So today, we're going to look at some classic research on gene variations in the PER gene and how that affects if you're a morning lark or a night owl, uh, as they're colloquially known. And fast forward to research that has come out in the last few months that has shown that PER variants can even alter disease risk and response to medical treatments. So let's start off with a 2003 paper that shows that variations in PER can affect preference to certain times of the day. The paper is titled... A length polymorphism in the circadian clock gene PER3 is linked to delayed sleep phase syndrome and extreme diurnal preference. In this study, the authors were interested to see if differences in PER variant affected diurnal preference, which basically means if you're a morning lark or a night owl. 484 people completed a survey called the Horn-Ostberg questionnaire. They also recruited 16 people with a relatively rare condition known as Delayed Sleep Phase Syndrome, DSPS, which is a pathologic extreme of diurnal preference. The questionnaire was designed to see how strong a preference people had for time of day. Subjects also gave a saliva sample to allow for genotyping of their PER genes. They were looking at a polymorphism that changed the length of the PER gene by the number of times it was repeated, either four or five units. When discussing genetics, you need to know that we have two copies of each genes, one on each of our paired chromosomes. One of those is maternal, from our mother, and the other is paternal, so from our father. You can either be homozygous for a gene, meaning that you have the same variant in both of your copies, or heterozygous, meaning that you have a different variant in each copy. So in this study... People could be homozygous for four repeat variant of PER, homozygous for five repeat variant of PER, or heterozygous with one copy of the four repeat variant and one copy of the five. From the healthy people, the researchers isolated the 7% of them with the most extreme morning preference, the 7% with the most extreme evening preference, and a control group with an intermediate preference they found a trend that the five-repeat variant of the pergene was significantly more common in people with a strong morning preference, but was far less common in those with an evening preference. In fact, When you looked at the people with delayed sleep phase syndrome, so a pathological evening preference, there were no people who were homozygous with the two copies of the five-repeat variant. The authors suggest that having two copies of the five-repeat variant of PER is linked to morning preference, whilst having two copies of the four-repeat would make you more likely to have an evening preference. This works probably because the repeated site is a place where the gene can be phosphorylated, which alters its activity. If you have an extra repeat, five versus four, then you have more of a chance of this phosphorylation occurring. The authors say that understanding how per-repeat is linked to daytime preference may help us to diagnose people with clinical diurnal preferences and may also provide a molecular target to help us modulate the biological clock. But maybe in the shorter term, the ability to tolerate night shift work time zone transitions and artificial time cues in a 24-hour society is likely to depend on the presence of specific clock gene variants, such as the one reported here. So as gene sequencing becomes more common, perhaps you'll be able to give your boss a scientific reason for why you work best at 1am. Next up, we've seen that we may have a greater chance of being a lark or an owl based on our per genes, but what if there is more to it than that? What about if I told you that our per variant would predict side effects and response to medical treatments? This was explored in a paper published just this month titled Genetic Variants Predict Optimal Timing of Radiotherapy to Reduce Side Effects in Breast Cancer Patients a study by genetic scientists at the university of leicester in the uk showed that radiotherapy toxicity which refers to the side effects from radiotherapy can be reduced by scheduling treatment according to the body's circadian rhythm the study tested 1007 participants for two gene variants to decipher the nature of their circadian rhythms one of the genes they were looking at was per the same gene that we discussed in the previous paper all participants had either previously undergone a course of radiotherapy or were currently on one the treatment was which uses high energy rays to target cancer cells, has typical side effects including skin pain, burning and swelling immediately after treatment. The issue can manifest in nerve damage and weaker bones later down the line. According to researchers, around 90% of operable breast cancer patients are treated with radiotherapy, of which 45% experience nasty side effects in one way or another. One key finding was that no matter what the gene variant breast cancer patients suffered worse side effects to radiotherapy in the morning. They found that 24% of patients treated in the morning had bright red skin after radiotherapy compared to 11% of those treated in the afternoon. Looking at people's gene variants showed that a bias towards eveningness with the four-repeat per variant made it more likely that you would get side effects if treated in the morning, with those who were four-repeat homozygous experiencing increased toxicity if treated in the morning compared with the afternoon. There are several potential physiological mechanisms to explain how time could affect reactions to irradiation, all linked to circadian changes that I mentioned earlier. The list includes melatonin, cortisol, inflammatory factors, or cell proliferation or DNA damage. Melatonin has antioxidant properties and has been shown to be radioprotective in mice and reduce oral swelling in irradiated mice. Cortisol levels can be used as a marker of stress and can affect wide range of other inflammatory markers. Cortisol levels can also influence the rate of cell division and may be associated with possibly increased cellular division of the skin in the morning compared with later in the day. That said, this study wasn't really designed to find out the mechanisms this would need looking at in future work. So, this study shows that getting radiotherapy in the afternoon is best for avoiding side effects, but if you're an evening person, you should try extra hard to get that afternoon appointment. When commenting on this story, clinicians pointed out that at the moment people are scheduling appointments in around when they have to pick the kids up from school, or if they get given a slot whenever the machine is available. The researchers suggest that to implement their findings, all cancer patients should have their genes sequenced at the time of diagnosis to make sure that evening people get priority on afternoon treatment. It's an upfront cost, but it could save a lot of people from getting bad side effects. Those people would be admitted to the hospital for their side effect reactions. So the money might be a good investment in the long run. There is still work to be done to confirm this in larger trials. And as I said, to understand the mechanisms responsible, but clearly differences in our internal clock genes could have a future important role for personalized medicine. Aside from differences between individuals, there may actually be differences on a sex level between the function of our circadian clocks. So the next paper we'll look at is called female C57 black six mice, lacking the circadian clock protein PER1 are protected from non-dipping hypertension. So we're staying with the focus on the PER gene here. This paper was published in the American Journal of Physiology, and it suggests that genetically knocking out PER1 acts differently in males versus females, And this may actually protect females from heart disease. The study is the first to analyse circadian blood pressure rhythms in female mice and distinguishes further biological differences between males and females. It's an important subtlety when all types of science, from basic research through to sports science and clinical studies, commonly test out interventions or study physiology in males to minimise the noise created by female hormonal fluctuations. The body's circadian clock contributes to normal variations in blood pressure and heart function over the course of the day. For the majority of healthy humans, blood pressure dips at night. But individuals who do not experience this temporary drop, called non-dippers, are more likely to develop heart disease. As I've said, the circadian clock has a wide-reaching impact regulating close to half of all genes in the body, including those that are important for blood pressure regulation. Previous research has shown that male mice that are missing the clock gene PER1 become non-dippers and have a higher risk for heart and kidney disease. So in this study, the research team studied the circadian response and blood pressure of female mice that lack PER1 and compare them with a healthy group of female controls. The researchers found that on both low and high-salt diets, both groups retained an apparent circadian rhythm of blood pressure. Unlike the male mice in previous research, the females without PER1 showed normal dips in blood pressure overnight. This illustrates that women may have different response to clock gene activation, not being as reliant as males on PER1 to maintain their circadian changes in blood pressure. It isn't clear exactly how this maps into humans, especially as we don't ever knock out whole genes in people. However, the findings are consistent with research showing that premenopausal women are less likely to be non dippers than men of the same age, and in general, females are protected compared with males with respect to cardiovascular morbidities. This study essentially represents an important step in understanding biological differences between males and females in the regulation of cardiovascular function by the circadian clock gene. So not only is there much to be done to understand how the clock genes alter physiology as a whole, but we also need to take into account that the responses could differ between men and women. So let's not overfit based on 50% of the population. To me, there's something poetic and beautiful about the idea of all of our clock genes in a state of constant flux together. It's amazing to think about how dynamic our genes are. Really, how we think about our DNA has changed over the years from thinking of it as a static line of code to realizing that not only is DNA responsive to our environment with things like exercise or ketosis being able to impact gene expression but it also has this inbuilt rhythm like a heartbeat that has huge implications for our life and health. With the advent of consumer genetics, we might be able to accelerate the translation of our basic science understanding into meaningful observations about our own genetics. A few years ago, 23 and me researchers completed a genome-wide association study that uncovered 15 genetic variants associated with being a morning person. Some of the variants were in newly associated genes, but others were in genes with well-established influence on circadian rhythms, such as PER2. That said, PER genes are not part of their standard report as yet, but they can tell you about how variants in two genes, BtbD9 and ADA, may influence your ability to drift off into deep sleep and how likely you are to move about while you slumber. So hopefully our discussion today has given you something to sleep on. You should watch out for more discoveries that help us to optimize our life and our health based on our clock genetics. So that is all for this month's podcast roundup listeners. As always, please write in to podcast at hvmn.com with any questions, topic suggestions, and feedback. You can also find me on Twitter at Brianna Stubbs. HVMN also have a great line of health and performance products, including our new fasting aid, Keto Collagen Plus, and MCT oil powder. Visit www.hvmn.com forward slash pod to check them out. You'll want to make sure you visit soon as you can get 10% off until February 22nd, 2019. Until next time folks, this is Brianna signing off.